Okay, I, what, we're starting a new sermon series this morning called Pure, the Naked Truth from Song of Songs. And uh, to start off, I kind of want to take you down a little, a little journey with me down memory lane and, uh, and uh, a, a little musical journey, actually. The year was 1995. The day was October 24th. So tomorrow will be 21 years. Um, I was a 21-year-old driving my 92 Honda Prelude listening to this song that you're hearing right now on the stereo. I was a nervous wreck as I rolled into the driveway of this, this cute girl named Becky's house. And uh, we were going to be going on a, a date, our very first date, a two-hour drive to Whistler, B.C. Now, as things went along, I could see that she was kind of digging on me a little bit. And I started feeling pretty good. The nerves kind of disappeared. In fact, at one point, we had walked through the snow to this little arcade where we found the, the classic game Street Fighter. Anybody remember Street Fighter? And so Becky and I were having a little match. And in the middle of the match, she gave me one of these. She kind of like bumped up against me, gave me the old hip bump. And I was like, mm, yeah, Rich, you are the man. You are the man. And the night was it, was, it was really awesome. And as the night went on, I just, I became totally smitten with this girl. Smitten more than words could ever say. And I just wanted her to hold me close, to never let me go. And I got back to my college dorm that night, and I wanted to see her again really soon because I was so excited about this girl. I took her to Seattle to see Beauty and the Beast on Ice. We went to, to Pike Place. We have a picture of us with a fish. We did all that kind of stuff. We started dating regularly. And, and then one day, as we were driving back from a date that we were on up at Harrison Hot Springs, we're driving back, and all I could think in my head was, I sure wish she would hold my hand. And I remember like it was yesterday, as she kind of reached up, and, and she reached over and intertwined her fingers with mine and held my hand. And, and it was just, my heart was going like this. It was crazy. And, it wasn't all romantic dates, though, and flowers and big trips. You see, we had some fights because I was a jerk. Um, I grew up with two brothers. I never had any sisters. I didn't really know how to treat a girl. And we got ourselves into trouble about a year into our relationship. And so not knowing what to do, I broke off the relationship. And the song playing on the radio was the same song that everybody listened to on the radio when you went through a breakup back in 1996. And we were apart for just three days before we couldn't take it anymore. And we got back together. Pretty soon, we were engaged. Nine months later, on April 4th, 1998, we were married in a little tiny church in Mission, B.C. In 21 years, five kids, ten moves later, long after that first date, we're still singing, you can't stop this thing that we got started. You got to know that it's just right. But if I ever want to go back to the early days with Beck, is Becky in here this morning? Time out. I got to give her a quick kiss, okay? I was hoping she was in here this morning because it would have been awkward if there was another woman hollering in the back like she was. All right. But if I ever want to go back to our early dating days, there's two ways that I can do that. One, the smell of CK1 perfume will take me back like that. And the other thing that will take me back really quick are some of the songs that you just heard playing over the stereo. 
They're the soundtrack of our dating years, and they're the songs that we held hands to. They're the songs that we went on dates to. They're the songs that we maybe even did a little smooching to. And, and th- there have been a lot of great love songs that have been written over the years, lots. But only one love song in all of history has the designation, the title of being the song of songs. And this song isn't found on the Billboard Top 20. It's not found on the American Top 40 with Ryan Seacrest. Um, in fact, it's found right smack in the middle of this book right here. And the author of, of Song of Songs is making a point with this title. The point is that this song, Song of Songs, that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks, that this song is far superior to every other song in history. It's the greatest song ever sung. And when it comes to this song, it's the love song of all song, songs. Now, you might have thought that Always by Bon Jovi was the greatest song, love song ever. Maybe some of you thought that Baby by Justin Bieber was the greatest love song ever. Hopefully not. Um, maybe somebody else, you thought that The Power of Love, Huey Lewis in the News, was the greatest love song ever. But according to the Bible, this is the song of songs. They don't, none, none of their song touches this song. And now you might think that since this song is in the middle of the Bible, it's probably a fairly clean song, pretty family-friendly, but you'd actually be mistaken. It's an explicit love song. If this song was on your Spotify or iTunes playlist, it's probably going to have a little E beside it to let you know that there's some explicit content in this song. It is so unlike any other book found in the entire Bible that this book has been throwing church leaders and Bible scholars off for years. At one point in church history, pastors would forbid that the people in their church read this psalm or song for fear that it would cause people to stumble. And what's fascinating to me is that God decided that this explicit love song needed to go right in the middle of the Bible. It is absolutely incredible. Now, I'm guessing that what you never expected to, to show up to this morning was listening to um, What a Man play over the stereo and hearing the preacher mention the word explicit not once, not twice, but five times. I don't think anybody expected that. And those of you who already know what's in the Song of Songs might be a little uncomfortable, and those who don't know are probably getting there really fast. And you're probably questioning whether or not uh, this is going to be handled in an appropriate manner. We might have some of those in the room. Well, if that's you this morning, here's the deal. Um, Over the next several weeks, as we're unpacking this explicit love song, I have a bit of an idea who's going to be in the room. At some point, either today or uh, next week or the week after that, there are going to be people in the room who are are singles, who are comfortable with their singleness. Um, My 12-year-old son, who just hit middle school, will be in the room. Um, My 14 and 16-year-old daughters will be in the room. I'll have dating people who are sexually active and dating people who are not sexually active. I'll have married people who are blissfully intimate and those who haven't been intimate in years. I'll have people who are currently sexually addicted and those who are formally addicted who don't want anything that's going to be a trigger for them, even if that trigger is found in the Bible. I'll have people who are physically unable to be intimate but want to be. I'll have people who are lonely and people who are not. And my job is to preach this content from this book in a way that makes sense to all groups of people. In a way that will help you see that this book applies to your life wherever you're at 
and to preach this in a way that doesn't scare you off and make you never want to come back to church again. However, just to be up front, over the next several weeks, I'll be talking about dating, I'll be talking about courtship, I'll be talking about romance, and I'll be talking about sexual intimacy, among other things. And so just a quick word to parents, we have some very, very good, great, awesome environments for uh, young kids every Sunday where they're going to be learning about Jesus. And uh, it's your choice. You can have them hang out in there if you want, or you can have them hang out in here if you want. If you want to be having awkward conversations on the way home, I'd encourage you to have them in here. But we've got great kids ministry that's going to be available for the next um, several weeks. Your call. A few more interesting notes about this book in the Bible, the Song of Songs. God is mentioned nowhere in the whole book, not even once. There's only two books in the entire Bible that don't mention God. One of those is the book of Esther, and the other one is, is the Song of Songs. In fact, if you were to read this whole book, you're not going to find anything in there about faith. You're not going to find anything in there about grace. You're not going to find anything in there about redemption or justification, all those big church words we use, the cross, healing, nothing. And because there's not even so much as a shout out to God in this book, it's led a lot of people over the centuries to, to come to the conclusion, well, if God's not mentioned in this book, then this book must be about something else. It must be a, a bigger picture with some, uh, uh, a deeper meaning somewhere in this book that we, we've got to get to. It must be about God and his people. It must be an allegory. Because surely God's not going to have a, a book in the Bible that doesn't mention him anywhere. And here's the approach that we're going to take with this book over the next several, several weeks. I believe that, that this book is both literal and allegorical. It's literal in that it's about a love story between a man and a woman. And it's also allegorical in that it's a poem. It's a story that has this deeper, hidden meaning. You see, this book, everything about this book ultimately points to Jesus. And in the Bible, you're going you're to see references over and over again to how God is referred to as the, as the bridegroom and his people are the bride. His church is the bride. And so this book, as we're going to see over the next several weeks, is also an allegory. It's, it's a song of songs that, that paints a picture about Christ and his people. But it's also literal. There is a man who is absolutely smitten with a woman and there is, is a woman who is absolutely head over heels crazy about a man. And we never get to know the name of the woman in this book, but we do know the name of the man because he's the one who wrote the book. His name is Solomon. And you might have heard of this guy before. Um, Solomon was called the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon was the son of King David. And so Solomon became a king himself. And he became the, 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 not only the wisest man in history, but the wealthiest king in history. But Solomon had two major hang-ups in his life, two areas that would just keep tripping him up over and over and over again, and those two things were money and sex. Or put another way, greed and lust. And, and when it came to, to relationships, what we see in the Bible when it comes to Solomon is that he was just an absolute relational disaster. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and you know some of his marriages were for political reasons, some of them were for, for trade arrangements, but they were all sinful and wrong, all except for one. His marriage to the woman from the Song of Songs. She was Solomon's first love, his first wife. And he wrote the book to describe his first love. Now, 
and kind of getting ready for this, this whole series, um, some of the research, most Bible scholars, they believe that, that Solomon wrote this book before the train wreck of his life began to happen. And here's how they come to the, this conclusion, and it's important for us to understand this morning because of where we're going. But Solomon wrote a number of different books in the Bible. He was involved in the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. And when you compare some of Solomon's writings from later on in his life to the book, The Song of Songs, you see a drastic difference. So if you were to dive into the, the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon writes it kind of towards the end of his life, you're going to see a man who's become hardened, he's jaded, he's, he's just this cynical guy, he's discouraged, depressed, hopeless. He's kind of become your stereotypical grumpy old man, and he's a guy who thought that if, if he just caved into his desires and he caved into money and, and all that stuff, his lust, that he'd be, become happy. But when you read the book, it's clear that he hasn't. But then you hop over to the Song of Songs, and you see a completely different guy. He's got this sweetness to his words. He's got this life. He's, he's this, this, this blissful, romantic guy that's got this youthfulness, this hopefulness in, in his, his words. And what's happened to Solomon is this. He started out doing things right relationally. And there was, there was love. There was excitement. There was adventure. But then he got slammed by life. He got off track relationally. He stopped doing things the right way, started doing things the wrong way, and as a result, he lost his passion. And without raising a hand or saying amen this morning, I wonder, are there any married couples in the room today who can relate to that? Things kind of start off alive. There was passion. There, there was romance. There was, there was j just this incredible sense of togetherness. He would have sailed the seven seas just to be with you. I don't even know if there's seven seas, but it, it sounds good. But he would have sailed the seven seas to be with you, and you would have been excited when he showed up. But then somewhere along the way, life showed up on your doorstep. You got slammed by life, mortgages, dirty diapers, hectic schedules, hurtful words were exchanged, anger settled in, resentment settled in, and now there's a wedge between you. And if you honestly assess your relationship, you would have to admit that the passion is gone. And at worst, you despise each other. At best, you're simply roommates. Going back to, to King Solomon, so Solomon had a lot, of, a lot of kids, 700 wives. I'm guessing he probably had hundreds of kids. I'm guessing he probably didn't make it to every single soccer game. But in Scripture, we, we see that Solomon was often teaching his sons wisdom. So he would he pulled them together, and he, he would instruct his sons on wisdom. Now, with Solomon, it, it was more of a learn-from-my-mistakes kind of wisdom. But he's, he's constantly instructing them. And listen to some of the things that, that he said to them. He said this, enjoy the wife you married as a young man, lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Now, that's a scripture from a Bible paraphrase because the rest of the, the versions were all PG-13. But what he's saying is enjoy the wife of your youth. Take the light in everything about her. Enjoy her. Don't, don't do it like I did. Don't take advantage of her. Hang on to this thing that you've got. Don't throw it away. There's another place where he says this in, in that book of Ecclesiastes that I mentioned. He says this. He says, enjoy life 
with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Notice he says wife and not wives. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. And, it, and it's like he's remembering back to, the, to, to, to how he was doing it right in the beginning, but then things just got completely off track. You can almost sense the regret in his words as he remembers his first love and what they had going back there in the day. A question that, that we all need to ask ourselves, whether married or single, whether young or old, is this. When you reach the end of your life, do you want to look back on your relationships with shame and regret or with joy and fulfillment? Do you want to love right in a way that, that leaves you and the other fulfilled or you just want to do things wrong in a way that leaves shame and regret? Now, the obvious answer to that question is we want to live life and be able to look back and, and have joy, have fulfillment. And but stick with me just for a second here because there are... Well, everyone in this room right now has relational baggage. All of us. Shame, regret. And, and, and maybe you're thinking, Rich, it's too late for me. I've already, I've already messed this whole thing up. I want you to know there's, there's good news for us this morning. The good news is this. Jesus is, is a God of hope. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of forgiveness. And he can restore any relationship. And ultimately, he wants all of us to find joy and fulfillment, not not in a relationship but with, with another person, but we're in a relationship with him. There's forgiveness, like we like to say around here at CTK. There's forgiveness for the past, and there is hope for the future. But when it comes to relationships, getting and staying on, on the road that's going to lead to joy, the road that's going to lead to fulfillment, it is not easy because there's obstacles along the way. There's bumps in the road. There, there's uphill climbs. There's challenges. And perhaps the biggest challenge of all, particularly in a marriage relationship, is captured by the writer of, of Proverbs chapter 30. He says this, there are three things that are too wonderful for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock. The guy's saying, I don't understand these things at all. The way of a ship in the sea, and the way of a man with a woman. Now, I'm not sure what's hard to understand about a snake on a rock. The snake's cold-blooded. He just wants to stay warm. Don't get that one. But being a man in a household that has, has five ladies, I get how the way of a man with a woman is difficult to understand. Because men and women are just different, aren't we? Men speak grunt. Women don't speak grunt. They don't, they don't understand that, that language. Men, we get teary-eyed when we're watching William Wallace give his speech to all of his men. Women are like, what the heck's wrong with you? And they get all teary-eyed when they're watching Hallmark commercials and stuff like that. Men, we've got this space in our head that's just kind of empty that we like to go to from time to time and just hang out there and zone out everything in life. I don't know how we do it. I can't explain how we do it. But women, not so much. Their mind is full and it's just constantly going. Just a few of the many differences. And this book... So you might be going, Rich, I, I don't get why we're in this book, Song of Songs. Why are, I've read the book before, Rich. How, wh what, what in the world are you doing? Here's why this book is important for us and why this book is important for us to be going through over the next several weeks. It's because in this book, what, what, 
we're going to see is we're going to see God's ideal for how a relationship between a man and a woman is supposed to look. And without this book, we're just kind of groping around in the dark, trying to figure out how to, how to do this thing, how to, how to navigate relationships when we're just so different. And through this collection of poetry and song, that's what Songs of Song is, it's like God comes along, he says, you don't have to stumble along in the darkness, I'm going to flip on the light switch for you here, and I'm going to help you understand how to have a relationship between a man and a woman. And for the next several weeks, we're going to unpack a number of things, but really all boils down to these five things right here that we're gonna, I'm going to just briefly mention. We're going to unpack how pure, intimate love begins with attraction. It begins with attraction. You might be going, okay, Rich, that's kind of shallow. It's actually not shallow. It's actually human. Every single person in this room knows that if there's no attraction, it's not going anywhere. God hardwired you to be attracted. The first time that I saw Becky, I was in a, in a, uh, just sitting on the, I remember like it was yesterday, which by the way, she doesn't, but that's for another time. But I was sitting on the sidelines, um, was taking a little break at a basketball game in the gym at my college, and she came walking in some friends, and, and my heart started going like this, and I just locked eyes on her. I turned to my buddies and asked who this girl was. There was this Draw, I was drawn to her. There was this attraction. And next week, we're going to dig into this one a little bit more and look at dating and look at romance. Next, pure intimate love is fanned into flame through romantic pursuit. When Becky and I first met, I pursued her. I called her on the phone. I bought her flowers. I took her on these crazy dates. I threw rocks at her bedroom window and, and did crazy stuff. The relational fire was constantly burning hot because I was just constantly throwing logs on that fire. Question for all of us, how long has it been since you threw some romantic logs on that fire? Is the fire just a flickering flame? If so, romantic pursuit might be in order. We're going to get into that in this series. Pure intimate love also anticipates an arrival. This anticipation is so important in a flourishing relationship. You ever notice how before you're married, the, the relationship is just full of anticipation? You just can't wait till you get that phone call. Or I guess today it's that text message. You, you just can't wait until um, he shows up all decked out with his fancy cologne. You, you just can't, you eagerly anticipate the, the next moment that you're going to be together. And then at some point, you eagerly anticipate as you're standing there at the front of the church when she's going to come walking through those doors wearing that white dress or when you walk in the doors with that white dress and, and you're, you're anticipating where you're going to see him and lock eyes with him at the front of that, that church building. Anticipation is not supposed to go away. Did you know that? It's not supposed to go away and become dull, predictable marriage. And we're going to get into that over the next several weeks. Next, pure intimate love is consummated in godly, passionate union. Sexual intimacy is God's plan for reproduction, but it's also God's incredible gift to us to be thoroughly enjoyed over and over and over and over again. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And then lastly, pure intimate love, it flourishes in an environment full of Christ-like love. So you're going to have times where there's going to be lots of conflict. You're going to have times where you're just going to want to throw in the towel. You're going to have times where the, the person you can't stand the most on the planet is your spouse. 
But when you put Jesus at the center and you determine to do relationships his way, your love will flourish. And this is where we're going to be hanging out over the next several weeks. A few years ago, um, Becky and I were on a, on a little getaway, and we were down in Palm Springs. Becky's parents have this timeshare, and they have told us, yep, just go ahead and use it. So we were on this little getaway, and uh, the purpose of the getaway was just simply to relax, to just enjoy one another, um, just to kind of keep the fire burning hot in our relationship. And so I, I, think, I thought, okay, since we're on this little romantic getaway, for my devotions, I'm going to dive into the Song of Songs. I'm just going to hang out there. I never, never really hung out there for any length of time. And so I opened up my Bible to start the Song of Songs, and this is what I read. Chapter 1, verse, verse 1. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. And trust me, if you stick around, it's going to get a lot better. Pleasing, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And I read this, and I was instantly struck by how this lady was so, she just desired her man so much. It just struck me. Wow, she really wants to be with her man. I mean, she's saying, take me away with you. Hurry up. I, I want to be, I want to be with you. And I was also struck by just the passion that's in her. I mean, that's passion. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. There's just passion there. And as I read this, I was convicted. I was convicted. I felt like God was lovingly and gently nudging my heart with some thoughts and some questions. And it was like he was saying, Rich, you've got a choice. You've got a choice. We've been married at that point 15 years <laughs> or so. Um, and I feel like God was saying, you've got a choice. Rich, you can, either, you, you can either settle for marriage that's passionless, that doesn't look like what you just read, or you can do everything you can to have a marriage that is full of passion and full of desire, just like you just read. The kind of marriage where, where Becky will even say things like, take me away with you and hurry because I just want to be with you. And if your marriage is passionless, if the attraction, the romantic pursuit, the sexual intimacy has stopped, and you've simply become roommates or just buddies, there is some good news for you today, and that's this. If you had passion at one time and lost it, God wants to restore it. God wants to restore it. The Song of Songs, it, it's literal, it's between a man and a woman, but, but it's an allegory. It's Jesus in his church. And, and I wonder this morning, where's your relationship, where, where's your passion level at with Jesus? Is it, is it low or is, is it just disappeared? When, when was the last time your heart leapt at the thought of being with Jesus? When was the last time that you thought, Jesus, just take me away with you. Jesus, I just want to be with you. I just want to hang out with you. I need you, Jesus. God is in the passion restoration business. And you know how I know that? It's because of how he describes our relationship with him and, and the kind of passion that he wants us to have towards him. He says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In a word, that is passion. 
He says, love me with everything you've got. And then in Revelation chapter 3, he talks about love that's gone cold. He, he wants passion. And if he wants passion in your relationship with him, why would he not want you to have passion in your relationship with your spouse? And if you find yourself passionless today, whether in your relationship with God or, or with your spouse, spouse, the restoration of that passion, it begins to happen when you do one thing, and that's repent. It begins to happen as you repent. You say, God, I've gone cold in my relationship with you. Jesus, there's just no hunger there anymore. There's just no thirst. I could honestly, Jesus, just go without you. Lord, it's gone. I repent of that. I pray that you breathe passion into my soul. Jesus, the passion that, that once existed between me and my spouse is gone. We just, we, we barely tolerate one another. We actually don't even like to be around each other. Jesus, our passion is just, is disappeared. God, I, I, I repent. Lord, I need you to change me. Light a fire in me. Lord, I pray that you breathe life into me. Breathe life into my marriage. And when you begin to do that, when you begin to pray that prayer, God will answer. God will answer. He'll begin to do that. And so over the next several weeks, we are going to be diving into this, this beautiful book called Songs of Song. And as, as we do, I know God's going to strengthen relationships. He's going to strengthen your relationship with God. He's going to strengthen your relationship with your, if you're married, with your spouse. But he's going to work through this, this series in your life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I'm so glad you're, you are a God of passion. I'm so glad that you call us to live lives where we're loving you with everything that we've got, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Jesus, you invite us into that. And Lord, I pray that Jesus, you would, you would work in our lives. God, I want to particularly pray, Jesus, this morning for those in the room this morning that are married. Jesus, I pray that, that Lord, even this morning, God, this message would just have been like a spark. Lord, where, where hope is, is awakened and, and where couples begin to go, yes, um, it, it's not where it, it should be, but I see now where it could be. And that, Jesus, they would just begin to get a faith and a hope that, Jesus, you're going to work in their marriage regardless of how broken, shattered, wrecked it might be. That, Jesus, you're going to come in and do something awesome. So, Lord, I pray that, Lord, over the next several weeks, you would, you would breathe life into marriages. God, I pray for, for those in the room that aren't married. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that they would get a picture of what, what love looks like, what intimacy looks like. And that, that, Jesus, that, that this would be a, a series, Lord, that just paints a picture for them of how your, what your ideal is, Jesus, for a relationship between a man and a woman. And, Father, we uh, ask all this in your good name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.